and welcome to the latest episode of Are You Kidding Me? My name is Naomi Schaefer Riley, and I am a senior fellow at the American Enterprise Institute. Hello, Naomi. This is Ian Rowe, also a senior fellow at AEI. And today we are joined a second time guest, uh, Kay Heimowitz. She is the William E. Simon Fellow at the Manhattan Institute and a contributing editor at City Journal. And she had a piece up recently at the Institute for Family Studies blog, which we, of course, recommend. I think I'm a contributing editor there about the subject of paternity leave. So tell us, Kay, just a little bit about the history of this idea that men should stay home, too, and change some diapers and feed some bottles and get up in the middle of the night. Um, Many of us are curious about that idea. (laughs) Well, it actually turns out to be a more recent idea than, than anybody might have thought. The truth is that men didn't play much of a role with newborn babies or with very young babies in any society, almost any society, Throughout history. So when in 19, I think it's 1974, when the Swedes open up parental leave to men, uh, it was a first. So that was 1974. It was, in, you know, a nanosecond ago in historical terms. I do mention uh, or link to one, an article about one tribe that was fa- that they found in West Africa, uh, where the men are 50-50. And even put the child, put the child to their breasts. <laughs> in, I mean, just, well, just, just for bonding purposes, not for lactation. I, I don't know, but you know, I, I don't even know if the tribe. We're going to send you out to do some field research. Yeah, okay. <laughs> right. Anyway, but that, that really, uh, I mean, it's an important thing to keep in mind how new this idea is uh, and, and radical really, which is not an argument against it. I'm just, Drawing, drawing attention to that as we go on, I think it will the relevance will become clear. So in 1974, the Swedes decided to open up parental leave to parent to fathers. Uh, and the others, uh, the other Scandinavian countries thought that was a good idea, and they did the same thing. But um uh, over the next decades, uh the men weren't taking any leave, women continued to take parental leave, but men did not, even though they could. So the Swedes, um, well, actually it was first the Norwegians, decided that they wanted men to take more leave. And so what they did was they offered a month that um, might have gone to, in the previous regime would have gone to the woman. But instead they said, this particular month is set aside for men and has to be used for the father, by the father. Otherwise, you lose it. The use it or lose it approach. And by God, it worked. Uh, men started to take a month of leave, and that the Swedes picked up on that very quickly. And I think Finland and uh, Iceland did did so as well fairly soon after that. You know, like I said, it worked. And by the 21st century, a lot of other countries decided this was a good idea. Because, frankly, you don't get men to stay home with the baby unless it's something that the state really puts a lot of muscle behind. Well, maybe we should back up and and ask what what was the goal? I mean, you said it worked, but what does it mean that it worked? What what were these what were these countries trying to do? Okay, so that's a a good a good uh, uh, distinction that I want to make. First, the goal wasn't just to get men to be more involved with their babies, but 
and for the good of the baby and the mother to help the mother who was, you know, recovering from childbirth. And in a modern world, you don't expect to have a lot of extended family around necessarily. Uh, so they do need help. And uh, most people can't afford a baby nurse. That might have been the idea, but actually in the, in the minds of the uh, policy architects, the real idea was to get have more gender equality. So they thought that by having men take more of a role in taking care of young children, women could go back to work faster. Uh, they would uh, lose less human capital by being in, in a long maternity leave. Uh, and they would make more money and in general, uh, be more equal. Now, of course, when you are in a Scandinavian country and you are offering in some cases a, a year or more of leave, one month for daddy isn't going to make that much difference. Uh, and it didn't. So they tried two months of what's called the daddy quota. Uh, and indeed, a lot of men took it. By the way, I want to mention for, for uh, later, uh, it, it, Swedish men took it, or at least European men took it. The immigrants do not in the mm, oh, that's okay. Okay. Yeah, to the same extent, it's something not discussed very much, but I finally found some data on that. At any rate, they uh, introduced a, a second month, um, but they still have a situation in these countries where they've been most generous. And, you know, and again, I don't not by any means saying this is a bad idea. I'm really questioning the uh, goal, what what is our goal here? And it seems to me that the goal of the bureaucrats and the government to um, equalize, to, to turn men and women into 50-50 partners has not happened. Uh, in Scandinavia, which has, which has uh, by tradition, the most progressive ideas uh, about these things, uh, women are still taking 70 to 80% of the leave. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. And, 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 are you, and are you seeing that, I mean, heaven forbid, it's not that, the father taking paternity leave means that the mother now needs to now gets to go off and leave. Are they spending time together with, 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 with their with their child? And they're not allowed to do that. The idea is to get men to take care of the kids. There are, you know, it depends on the on the country, but but the Scandinavian countries thought of these daddy months as daddy months and mom was not supposed to be around that leave was not supposed to coincide uh mommy's leave was not supposed to coincide and what do you think is at the heart of that because it's saying that they truly are interchangeable and that you only need one warm body yeah yeah uh and and it's not a family unit you know exactly right <laughs> Yeah, it's um. I, that's what I was so struck by the the topic because it seemed to me the assumptions behind it, not just uh, gender equality, but just what what the family is uh, and the resistance to supporting the unit, you know, that family unit instead of just the individual worker and how much that was guiding policy. And, you know, indeed, a lot of the people who are studying the effects of parental leave uh, are sociologists, but they're also economists. And they do tend to talk about 
women living up to their labor market potential. Mm. That's that's <laughs> the kind of language that you hear. So it's very technocratic. Economists talk in terms of, you know, uh, of a maximum efficiency in the market. And if women are home taking care of their babies there, that's not efficient. So especially if the men are there with them. Yeah, yeah. very, <laughs> right. very inefficient. Right. No, that, right. It's interesting because, you know, this is I think people generally think of parental leave policy as something that is a policy that's supposed to benefit kids. And, yes. you know, are you kidding me? You know, it's really turns out to be a policy that's about creating the best conditions, working conditions, social conditions for the adults involved and not necessarily for the kids at all. Uh, I think so, which is not to say that there isn't some good that comes out of it for children. There may well be. I I don't think they've even, you know, anybody's claimed too much about that. I'm, I'm trying to think if I've seen any research on that subject. Well, there's talk about fathers spending more time with their children bonding. as a result of, uh, you know, bonding of, uh, as a result of taking paternity leave, which is very nice and, um, you know, to be to be applauded. But that could be achieved in other ways or, or that you don't need the government saying you must do this absolute 50 50 or and you're not allowed to stay home, even though it's parental leave. The country that actually has um, gone the furthest with this is Iceland and Iceland, which is, by the way, a country of about 300,000, much smaller than New, <laughs> New York City, but they they set up. First, they had the one month, one month, uh, one month for dad. Then it was two months. Now they have an arrangement where it's something like four months for dad, four months for mom and one month that they can share. And I guarantee you (laughs) the women will take the one month that's good. That's supposed to be or or rather that they can decide for themselves. themselves, Yeah. (laughs) So just one technical question. Who's paying? So when the government says, you know, four months, you must, and it's and it's 55% of your wages or 75%, who's paying that? Uh, well, I think it varies by country. I think both the companies and the government are are pitching in. But it's uh, an imposed, but it's an imposed tax on it, companies. It is very much so. Yeah. Yeah. But because everybody has it. It's, you know, it's not, uh, it doesn't seem to be a, a competition problem. Uh, it's not adding adding some uh, yep. distortion to the competition, unless you have a lot of young women working for you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> one, so. one of the things, Kay, that, that we've talked about in the past is the effect of these Scandinavian policies on the employment market for women that companies are a little more reluctant to hire women of childbearing age because pretty soon they're going to have to pay for them to take a year off from work. Um, So do you think that uh, is is this happening now with men of childbearing age or whatever you want to call them to is, do you think this will result in less of that discrimination or in a sense of companies trying to figure out whether men are also going to have children soon so that they might be on the hook for the paternity leave costs? 
Well, I think one of the, th uh, the thinking by uh, a lot of uh, experts was, well, by uh, having these requirements for paternity leave will reduce the um, problem for women in the labor market uh, or discrimination against women in the labor market. Um, how much that has is now affecting men who are at uh, who's why you know young young couples who are um, thinking about children. I don't. I actually don't know. I haven't seen any research on that. The other thing I want to just to get back to the father bonding thing. One of the most interesting things that you talk about in your piece is the fact that this doesn't seem to be accomplishing another goal that we talk about often when it comes to parental leave, which is uh, increasing fertility. Yes. Um, so now that all these people have all this time off and they can bond with babies, so they're going to have, you know, three more, right? I mean, what, what happened here? Well, that didn't happen. So yeah, that was very much the thinking of the experts um, before we started having these elaborate uh, leave arrangements. It was that, you know, it would be, it would allow women in particular to combine work and family uh, and make it so everybody, they would want more children. And I'm not sure that it didn't make them want more children, but what they've now found is that men don't want more children when they have, <laughs> after they take- Especially when they take paternity leave. <laughs> it's so, really amazing that human race has managed to perpetuate <laughs> Well, we're doing a good job at making sure that's not gonna happen. Yeah, yeah no, so that's, uh, that's new research that's just coming out and from Spain and from, South Korea, and we'll see if it's replicated elsewhere. But uh, it makes sense to me, and I want to do that again. I wonder what it is in uh, our present madness that it's so hard to admit that there's a bond between mother and baby. That's just different. It's not to say men don't love their babies. They, they do, and we've seen, and I make this point in peace, how much more men can do than we ever thought uh, and um, do it well. Uh, they can sing those babies to sleep and they can put them in a front pack and take them out and they can do all kinds of things with them and they should. And it's wonderful. And I think I think we should applaud that. But there still is, uh, as the data shows from the results of uh, this so-called shared shared arrangement and in uh, Scandinavia and elsewhere, it's there's still a special connection between yeah. mother and, and baby, and that's the way it is. I, you know, in uh, reading, I, I was struck so much and looking at the awful footage from Ukraine at how much it's about mother and getting the mothers and children out. And well, also keeping the men in and keeping the men in and, um, you know, the, the symbolism, I mean, it's not symbolic, it's real life. But when they when the Russians bombed that maternity hospital, I thought <clears throat> how fitting, you know, and how striking that um, we see, you know, uh, how powerful this is, this bond. And I can't remember where it was. I think it was in Mariupol they found a baby, a newborn with his umbilical cord still attached, who was dead. And I just thought, well, we're talking about new life here. And we're talking about the bond between mother 
and child. And that's when, when push comes to shove, when you get down to brass tacks, that's the breakdown. You know, the mothers go with the children. You know, and yet there is this sort of bureaucratic social engineering that seems to is trying to break that bond. And, you know, it's impossible now to not talk about these gender roles that, you know, that people think they can manipulate. So we're talking about women and men, paternity leave. I have to ask you, Kay, you know, because we are in the midst of a Supreme Court uh, justice hearing and even actually a few months ago. The U.S. Secretary of Education uh, also could not answer a question, which is seemingly straightforward, but this idea of what is a woman? What is a man? Yeah. And nobody is quite well, or or I shouldn't say nobody, but there are a lot of people who are making that much more mysterious (laughs) than it it actually is. And, you know, there's an interesting book out called Mom Genes, G-E-N-E-S by Abigail Tucker, where she talks about this incredible bathing of hormones that happens to a pregnant woman. And affecting every cell in her body. You know, it is a biological earthquake uh, and it doesn't affect men the same way. Only in our interactions with a woman who's just had a what child. Are you saying? <laughs> that's right, that's right. I'm not saying you guys get away, Scotty's. It's like secondhand smoke. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, actually, there is a, some, there's a phenomenon, that I think they call it sympathetic pregnancy, where men gain weight yeah. during pregnancy. See, now there you go. See, their <laughs> empathy, there it is, right there. So there are all kinds of lengths there. I, You know, at any rate, The day is coming where we're going to have artificial wombs. I mean, it's horrible to think about. I can't, but that day is coming. And maybe we're preparing for that time. Well, Well, you know. And we can all be birthing people. Yeah, Yeah. right. (laughs) Well, you know, look, a woman is an adult human female that's not a man. And a man is an adult, you know. Human male, that's not a woman. I mean, what do you think? What do you, you think? You just ruined your chances for getting on the Supreme Court, Ian. I just All right. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what I mean, no, seriously, Kay, what do you think the danger is when there are these sort of bureaucratic efforts to fundamentally redefine what have been biologically and understood for annals of time, the roles of gender, male and female, what's the risk that we run when you see what's happening with paternity leave and other kinds of initiatives like this? Well, at the moment, the risk is a, a deep polarization in our polity and in our, in our uh, discussion of uh, v- very basic truths, which is very, uh, it not, you know, very bad for the country and very bad for the future of the country, very bad for children who are growing up um, with these ideas percolating around them. Because I think kids, you know, are naturally looking around them to figure out, well, how am I supposed to, how do I understand the world? And how am I supposed to behave in the world? And we're giving them so many weird messages that are going to make it very, very difficult to grow up Uh, in this present environment. I will say that I think they will fail, the uh, bureaucrats and the trans 
community. I think they will fail to normalize this to that extent because as I just uh, explained from the work I did on the paternity leave, these, these instincts are very powerful and people know it. Uh, and at a certain point, they're not going to just give up and say, oh, okay, you know, that's a, that's a woman. I don't think young women want to be in a locker room with a naked man. And I don't think that's going to change. Yeah. And I think people will fight it. Uh, and I just don't, I don't see that side winning. I also wonder when we're thinking about the, I was thinking about the paternity leave question. And, um, and I always remember my, my own father, who, when, when uh, my sister and I started having kids, you know, sort of would mention jokingly, you know, um, I become much more interested in children once they start talking. This could be because he's a college professor, but but I really I think that there there is a lot to this idea that you know men are also much more important at other stages of childhood, and so sometimes when we are so insistent on explaining that everything has to be equal at all times, uh, we lose sight of what strengths you know men and fathers have too, and we assume that you know that the best thing that they're going to be able to do is you know change diapers and you know rock a baby to sleep when in fact, you know, I don't, maybe we should have paternity leave at like age seven so they can take a couple months off and play oh, baseball and wrestle with it's it. A it's a really powerful point because if you look at data, particularly for young girls, you know, teen pregnancy rates dramatically reduce if you've got a strong father, strong two-parent home, but you know, a strong father in the home. So it's a great point. It is a good point, Naomi. And I think it's not just that the men are better at that. Look, there are always exceptions. I you know, always have to say this because I have seen men who are actually better <laughs> with babies. My yep. younger daughter has a friend, um, old friend of hers who just had a baby. And she just is one of these women who doesn't, not that interested in the baby. I mean, she loves the baby. and But her husband is going nuts. You know, he can't keep his hands off the baby. Does all the, oh, she's not breastfeeding. So he does all the feeding. So there are always exceptions like that. And I think those exceptions should be allowed to, you know, I think we should give people flexibility to do what works for them. This is a very loving couple and they'll be fine. But in general, I think we have to be less afraid of saying the vast majority of people are going to be like this. And we need to keep that in mind when we're making policy and not pretend that the world is made up of outliers. It's just it's not. Yeah. That's a little bit of what bothers me about um, a lot of the trans conversa conversation over trans. The numbers that I've seen are so tiny. They're under like 0.5% of, pe of people who are trans. And look at the energy. The world is getting turned upside down for this purpose. Yeah, for this. Now that people will argue, oh, well, that's just because they've been discriminated against. And now we'll have a lot more trans people and we will have more. I have no question, but it's never going to be very much. I think people also... You know, that we so much understate in these debates the importance of social contagion, especially for adolescents. Mm -hmm. um, and um, what, you know, when you're an adolescent, you're trying, not just are you trying to figure out your identity, you're trying to make yourself important. You feel like you're really super important. And this seems like a way to do it. 
Uh, so that's very frightening. I think that uh, we will find a, lo a, a lot more dysphoria just because that's what adolescents are like. Yeah. Well, I got a couple of them at home, so I know. <laughs> <laughs> Particularly girls. Oh, you just wait, Ian. <laughs> I know. Well, yes, I'm losing a little bit of a doubt. So. All right. Okay. Enough about us. This has been another great episode of Are You Kidding Me? Thank you so much, Kay, for joining us. You can find episodes of this podcast on the AEI podcast channel or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you, Kay. This is great. Thank you. 